Here at Saturday Afternoon Fever, Matthew, we have the pleasure of speaking to some luminaries from the game. And uh, this woman is an absolute trailblazer and a history setter. I'm talking, of course, about goal umpire Chelsea Roffey. Welcome to the show, Chelsea. Oh, thank you. It's, it's lovely to, to be chatting to you, boys. Uh, let's go through a few of uh, your stats. Major debut in Queensland in 2004 after starting goal umpiring in Adelaide, I believe. Oh, and I then started in you Brizzy. Were, I'll let you know. You started in Brizzy, did you? Yeah. I know you were born in Adelaide. Born in... Is that right? Born in Wallaroo. Wallaroo? Where's... Um, York oh, Peninsula. you're a York Peninsula girl. So Walla, Wallaroo, it's, it's like the combination of Wallaby and Kangaroo. That's the most Australian-named place <laughs> I, I've ever heard. It is. And I actually, I looked this up because I, I had to give a talk one day and I thought, we'll start from the beginning and I'll, you know, where I was born and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, I looked up the meaning of Wallaroo. Um, <laughs> Wikipedia and? says it means in Aboriginal language, Wallaby urine. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, where do we right. go from there? But that's just, I'm assuming it's true. <laughs> Right, Wallaby urine. What, That's where what, you come from. What an auspicious beginning. So uh, did Adam Goods, so you... Same hospital as Adam Goods. Oh, really? Hang on, you're probably about the same age, aren't you? If he's recently retired, or you're younger. Around, yeah, let's, let's not get into numbers. Let's not but, ask a, um, a lady your age. No, probably, but probably roughly the same era. So okay. you debuted in 2004 in Brisbane. I'll let Brizzy. you continue, yes. <laughs> and then... Yes, uh, enough of your wallaby urine chat, please. Can we, can, we not, can, we, can we not ask her about herself rather than tell her about herself? No, uh, but I just want to visit on this uh, and tell the, the audience as well. 2012, you umpired your first grand final and you were the first woman to umpire uh, or goal umpire a grand final. But um, And you've always been about this throughout your career, Chelsea, and that is uh, you didn't want to make it about gender. Uh, you wanted to talk about, you know, the goal umpiring and trying to leave the gender out of it. I want to pose this to you. I reckon you gendered goal umpiring because before you, they were genderless. They were old <laughs> men in long white coats and no one thought about their gender. In fact, they they were like the the unicorns, if you will. I'm not, that's the wrong word, isn't it? <laughs> It's an inclusive term, but yeah. Um. Yeah. <laughs> they they were a genderless bunch of people in lab coats. Uh, and then, of course, you came along and the world changed immediately. What was it like being at that vanguard of change? Oh, Lawrence, it's very kind. You're saying I brought a bit of flair to goal umpiring. Um, Not a, yeah, well... A whole lot of flair. There was a lot of focus on goal umpires. Not not that they hadn't been emulated throughout history. Every child has done, you know, the goal thing. Everyone has, that get, comes to the game does that immediately, you know, signifies a goal with the outstuck fingers. Yeah. And, you know, when I, if I travel overseas and you talk about Aussie rules, it's the one thing that people seem to know about the game, and that is, oh, the, the guy in the lab coat, Given the signal, and everyone knows yeah, the and universally the... <laughs> understood signal. Which You're I right, and the and the and the white cap, and and my English girlfriend took a look at a VHS tape that I was watching once in in London, and said, "What's that butcher doing beneath the two big sticks?" <laughs> <laughs> do, do you wish? Do you reckon you could have rocked the butcher's outfit if that was still in vogue? Oh yeah, I really actually liked the um, the heritage look, and I have worn it for heritage round. Um, mind you, I got issued with a, a men's like triple XL or some stupid size. Um, so it's so like coming off your wrist. 
No, you look like David Byrne in, in the Talking Heads videos. <laughs> Stop making sense. Bringing the cool. Um, but, yeah, to answer your question, Lawrence, I think, um, I guess it's sort of, yes, it's a novel factor coming in as the female. And when I grew up um, in the early days, like born in South Australia, in, um, you know, the typical country footy ground where you've got mm. cars around the outside, you know, pie floaters from the canteen and... Um, and the, the big oh, wow. moustache and the big overcoat and the big wide brim hat on a, on a goal umpire. So it was just, I suppose for me, it was a bit of a, even stepping into that world was, um, it sort of, yeah, it challenged, you know, what I thought a goal umpire was. But um, yep. I enjoyed, look, I probably enjoyed the attention to a degree. Um, <laughs> just, I think oh, so, you've got to be so you're a megalomaniac. There. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been the centre of attention. Um, what what made you look at the goal umpire and think, I want to be one? Well, you know, I actually went, so after we moved from South Australia, we did quite a lot of travel as a family and um, ended up sort of did the big Australia trip in a caravan and, and ended up in Brisbane. And mm. by this stage, I'd, I'd changed from a, an Adelaide Crows fanatic um, into part Adelaide and then part Brisbane because I they were the games we were going to. So I've done that. Right, who, who was your favourite player when you were an Adelaide fanatic? Oh, well, I loved the watching Darren Jarman. I thought he was sensational. Um, big Sean Wren in the in the ruck. Yeah. Uh, no. Sensational too. Yeah, yeah. Big Rennie. Yeah, Sean Wren. Yeah. Um, Tony Modra was my favourite though. Probably like a lot of young women at the time. Uh, Modra. He, he was like he was like the Timmy Watson for you, Lawrence, or the Trevor Barker for me for the Adelaide fans of the time. Blonde, mm. high flyer, full forward, full package, screamers, just had everything. Um, yeah. so and I, as a goal umpire, you can't get any closer to Tony Modra unless you're a fullback. Well, that's it. Oh, imagine if I could have umpired Modra. I, of course, oh, I, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been fair. Professional. Um, yeah, of course. But. So hang on. So I've interrupted my own question and your answer to it, which is what made you want to be a goal umpire? Sorry. And then, so we would go to the Gabba. We had a Gabba membership with the Brisbane Lions. So I'd head along with dad and uh, my brothers. Mum would bring, bring um, all the snacks and the thermos. And because um, we were sort of front row, we'd, we'd have the big tarp over the legs if it was raining. Um, oh, fantastic. But I was there. I reckon it would have been Katrina Presley's one of her first games. So she was the first woman to umpire in the AFL. And that would have been late 90s, yeah, early 2000s. But she, she was a field umpire, right? No, she was a goal umpire. And I oh, right. So she at this particular yeah. game and she was walking down um, to the goals, put her flags in the posts, and, and Dad just pointed her out and said, you know, she's the only woman to have yeah, umpired at this level. And that didn't, I don't think it was then I really wanted to be a goal umpire, but it was probably within a couple of years uh, the call came out at school, year 12. They needed a volunteer to wave the flags for the boys' team. And I, I thought, oh, well, why not? And so I think in a way they planted the seed. I thought it's not the weirdest thing for a girl to do. And, and I was just a fanatic for footy. Like, I just absolutely loved football. Um, and, and we didn't have a school team, so it was my way to, to get involved in the game. That was, that was my way onto the uh, year 12 football footy trip. Uh, I was bad at football, but I became a trainer. And uh, so that I travelled with the team, uh, learn how to do, you know, learn how to rub oil onto men's legs. <laughs> that's a whole se- that's a whole separate podcast. Lawrence is plucking up the courage to to begin sometime soon. 
Uh, well, you know, I, I had a, a special camaraderie with the team and uh, never went on to to realise the dream of becoming a trainer, though. A uh, bit of regret there, I suppose. Whereas Chelsea saw it through. Hang on, Chelsea. Now, you mentioned you had brothers. Are they older or younger? And who tormented who? Oh, they're younger. And, mm. of course, they tormented. Oh, so are yeah. you the eldest in the family? Yes. Well, aside from her parents, of course, Lawrence. Yes, yeah. but Go they're on, older than me. But, yes, yes. oldest child <laughs> and, um, yes, sister to two brothers. So did you break down the barriers? Because Lawrence and I, our older brothers, they broke our parents, basically. And so it, it cleared a path for us regards behaviour and rules and what have you because our older siblings just broke all those rules and to the point where there were no rules remaining by the time we got old enough. Oh, gosh. About- no. See, I was, I was a good girl. Um, but yeah. my brothers... My God, they there were injuries involving throwing darts at each yeah. other. No there were injuries involving throwing bricks into the swimming pool at people's heads. <laughs> what? So at, at, what each other's heads into the swimming pool. So bad boys. They were bad. So boys. hang on, hang on. They threw the bricks at each other's heads in the swimming pool. Yes, I mean, mm. not these are obviously you know these are standalone incidents. They didn't sort of yeah. describe the daily life. Um, no, it's, not a pattern, it's not a pattern of behaviour. Yeah, but these are the things that you sort of think back and go, oh, gosh. And I remember we had a table tennis table as well in the in the rumpus downstairs, and um, those games got very, very heated. But I've, yeah, had a few bats thrown at me and things like that. So that's what it's like, isn't it, growing the, up? The table, oh, te- the table tennis bat is perfectly shaped to sling at your a sibling. Great little frisbee and with a perfect, handle on it. Yeah, and a perfect distance too to really split their lip. So, Chelsea, I think uh, in the divide of this interview, you're speaking to two babies of the family, uh, youngest of three boys, both of us, uh, and you are clearly the eldest because you're responsible, mm-hmm. uh, you, you're driven, and you decided to you know make an example for your family to follow. <laughs> what, what is it like? Uh, tell, tell us about the perspective from the eldest to the baby because we know that we are, we're loved, but we're also hated. <laughs> oh. Well, I do. I have always said that, so the youngest mate in, uh, in our family, I've always said he's mm. the golden child. He's yes, just, that's what they called That's us. what they called me too. That's we, what they called me. Yeah, the oh, the bloody draw for you, the golden child. Yeah. yeah my, my, the middle brother calls, still calls me, oh, it's okay for you, the golden and child. Wh- why, like, why do you say that then, uh, Chelsea, about him? I don't, so Nate, he came along, he's six years younger than me. He sort of came along in a very relaxed environment and he's nothing phases him. Um, mm. He seems to be naturally good at most. Like he's just one of these kids who would just pick things up very easily and nothing phased him, no real anxiety or like worries that, you know, as the older child, you just, you know, constantly living with worry constantly. Uh, but oh. Nate would just sort of breeze through life. And um, I think, you know, maybe that was partly as you know, parents get a bit more relaxed by number three. I don't know if you guys found yep. that, but well, yeah. that's I think that's the the case. By number three, the parents are relaxed. Well, I want to know what you, you know the source of your anxiety, guys. We'll get back to that. But um, I think as the oldest child, I don't know. It's probably a sense of um, I, I don't know. I grew up with a sense of responsibility, and I was probably a bit yeah. when they were younger. I was a bit like you know the second mum. Like I used to love. I was obsessed with babies when I was younger, but. Um, just used to, you know, love picking Nate up and looking after him. And um, I think, I don't know, there was just something about being the older responsible one wanting to, I don't know, I, I grew up with this real like wanting to prove myself, wanting to do well, you know. And I don't say this as a badge of honour, but almost that perfectionist type tendency. Um, 
it's actually a real pain thinking that way. But um, well, wanting but I to think achieve... that that's that's imposed on the eldest that expectation, and you've got to be an example for the youngest, and mm. they're going to be watching you. And so, yeah, a lot of parental expectations and anxieties are loaded onto you. You seem to be a bit of a perfectionist. So, what? How closely did you study the art of goal umpiring? You know, like. Were you doing repetitions in the lounge room on your own? Like how <laughs> intense did it get? Because, you know, I know that field umpires, like when they get together, they go, hey, let's go out for a bounce and end up bouncing a ball in the middle of a field a hundred times. Like how much of a of your life was it? It's really, um, people are always amazed to think, like how does a goal umpire train? Um, mm. So after you sort of, you, you get the hang of it at like a local community level and um, what you realise, I don't know if either of you have ever tried goal umpiring. Have you ever? No, I don't know the art. Ah. Well, it's sort of, once you're in there, um, it's all about positioning, reading the play. Um, there are several things happening at any given time, you know, when the ball's down your end, um, where you're just assessing your environment, assessing the players and um, anticipating what you're going to think what might happen, but um, you've got to sort of hold back on your instinct a lot of the time because right. you know, your instinct, when you've got Jonathan Brown r- running at you, the instinct is to get out of the way, but you've got to hold that nerve. <laughs> um, or the ball's dropping on the line. Again, your instinct is kind of to um, sort of rush out of an area, but um, you've just got to manage your time so that you're allowing players to, to get to the line before you and then you're getting there at the right time. So right. Um, for us, we, we try to replicate the sorts of scenarios that happen in games and the sorts of, you know, styles of kicks that players might do, um, you know, what would a defender do in, in these different situations. So, we, you know, we'll practice, you know, cross-face kicks and um, running players running in to touch the footy. But, of course, this is all uh, goal umpires doing this. So it's not exactly – there's nothing like game day to actually get the skill level. Of, well, of speaking, about game, <laughs> speaking about game day, I've got a few quick questions. Who has accidentally flattened you the hardest? Ooh, well, I've mentioned I've mentioned John Brown, and I reckon McDonald got me the best from Melbourne a few years ago. Definitely no conceding. Franklin able to get rid of Kennedy Harris. Got that bending the right way. Ooh. Oh, and Oscar McDonald takes over Chelsea Roffey. Chelsea says, "I'm all right. I'm all right. Don't you worry about me." That's unbelievable from her. Oh, but, but I that, the been, footballer's I body is just like they're rock hard and they're flying too. That must have just knocked you rotten. Well, at the time, I sort of bounced right up and I didn't want, I was like, just get out of here. Um, <laughs> so I knew the cameras would be right. on there replaying it. And um, at the time, it's fine. But I guess it's probably not too different from taking a hit on the field because maybe a day or two later, you kind of realise, oh, I'm uh, feeling a little worse right. for wear. But at the time, it's a, the adrenaline probably stands you straight up, does it? Yeah. Well, we, you and I have crossed paths with Chelsea before. We all know each other a little bit. And, um, you know, if we were having a casual drink, I'd ask this, and you could kick me in the shins if you wanted to. But um, ha, have, have, do you not panic during close games that the 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 the, 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 the whoever wins might come? Yeah, that you could be the difference? Um, yeah, and look, probably more so when there was no review system at all and you had to give a call. And it, oh. and you know, there are sometimes it's like there's a bee's dick in it, and you just, you've got one look, split second, you have to be in the, in position, and you've got to be there at the right time to to make that call. Um, so it was probably a little more nerve wracking 
back then um, because you just didn't have that ability to check anything. But, um, yeah, I mean, it'd get really, really tight. But that's I love those. I actually love those moments the most. Like, I reckon probably some of the most exciting games I've had have been prelim finals where just everything is riding on it. They're going down to the wire and, you know, you've got like a touched on the line or something like that where it's just, it's so close and everything's riding on it. And it's kind of just, yeah, it's it's fun that adrenaline charged. Chelsea, you 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 were a witness. You were the close witness to this year's Mark of the Year by Shia Bolton. Oh. Uh, you feature in all the photographs. Can you tell us about that experience? Ah, oh, it's incredible. That was probably one where you just, um, yeah, these these moments where they happen very quickly, but they they're just unfolding in slow motion. And I think it's a bit like that. Like if you've got a close call, because if you're in the right spot and it's all flowing, you just it's very obvious what it is, even though it's happening in a split second. Right. With, with um, Bolton's mark, oh, you could just feel, you could feel it brewing. Like he was sort of mulling around the goal square and I just thought he's about to do something. And it was just unfolding like second by second. And it was just this very slow kind of thing. And then up he went. And I just thought, whoa, like that was just incredible. Um, yeah, that hanger was just, Unbelievable. And I'm so happy to have a picture with my face in the background. Yeah, but your face is like reacting as if someone in the crowd would as well. It's like, whoa! Yeah, it's incredible. And Bolton's still ready. Ready to rise and take a magnificent mark into the night sky at the MCG. Shay Bolton with a big skip up over the pack. What a start. So uh, this show uh, talks about football and the origins, and obviously we're wrapped to be discussing with you who has been out on the ground in an important role oh. on a grand final day. But um, you know, in the lead-up to that, you were a child. And uh, did you say York Peninsula is where Wallaroo yeah. is at? Yes, York Peninsula, sort of. Yeah, so, so that can't be described as that can't be described as the suburbs. And I'm going to ask you some questions about your childhood and your youth just quickly, yeah. and it's a, a, a quick fire round. And, and feel free to embrace or ignore our inquiries before we go. And that is, do you recall your first ever bike? I don't recall my first ever bike, but I recall an incident with a bike where I would have been six. And sorry, this is going on a real tangent, but you don't mind. Do Please do. <laughs> we, we don't mind a tangent at all. We are tangential. <laughs> Our neighbours, we were living on the Sunshine Coast. So we'd left South Australia. We were living on the Sunshine Coast. And um, a school, a boy in my class at school um, was also one of our neighbours. And he was just a little, he was a little smart ass and he was just always irritating people and just, just being a real, yeah, jerk basically. And I should remember this particular day, he'd done something to upset <laughs> me and ridden off of the, on his bike, right? And he got to, I don't know, he might have been 20 metres away. It, it feels like a lot longer because I was, I was very little and, um, but I remember at that moment being so just incited. I picked up a rock and I just threw it at his spokes thinking uh, like, whatever, I just need to let this anger out. And again, another slow motion moment. I just remember actually the rock landing in his spokes and like he did this massive skid and just fell off his bike. And um, <laughs> as a six year old girl, I felt really powerful and uh, confident and supreme in that moment. And um 
that's probably the first. If I think about bike memories, that's that's what comes to mind. Dest- destroying the patriarchy one rock at a time. Yeah, and that was that was the beginning. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> In filmmaking, uh, they call moments like that. You know, these seminal moments. Muggovans, where really? you know, Muggovans. if we, I needed to explain Chelsea Rossi, uh, Chelsea Roffy's super ego, I would say I can trace it back to the moment where she brought down her nemesis with a rock. It's like, <laughs> oh, my eye is perfect, my aim is perfect. I'm going to put this to good use, <laughs> and yeah. through the big sticks. <laughs> right, uh, your first part-time job or any job you've been sacked sacked by? Okay, now my first part-time job unpaid was in the family business I grew up on a chicken farm and I used to collect eggs and um, pack the eggs and then occasionally when I got a little bit older so you know I don't know nine um, I'd actually work in the front of shop Um, that was unpaid and then I graduated in high school mum said oh I think you should get a part-time job in the holidays and I had this job at I don't know if you had a jewelry store down here this is up in Brizzy, called Klein's. Yes. Very cheap costume jewellery. Yep, and, um, lovely stuff. So the problem was I was actually so embarrassed by the quality of the product. I was I was apologetic to customers. Like my job, my first job was having to go to them and give them like a, a little voucher for, a, you know, whatever the deal of the day was. So it might have been 30% off earrings or something. Um, but I was... I was so apologetic about approaching them and like pushing this crap onto them. <laughs> I would say sorry and like, excuse me, but I'm so sorry. It was just the worst possible job for me. Is that the kind of jewelry where it leaves your skin green underneath when you take the ring off? Oh yeah, definitely. Any and any kind of moisture or it's just it was terrible stuff. They they'd chosen to buy Klein's quality jewellery and you're apologising for it and giving them a voucher. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it was hard. It was hard to do you, do you, next question, do you recall your first kiss and where it might have been? Ooh. Um, I do recall. There was a there was a party in, in high school. It might have been about grade nine. And uh this was this was this was brewing all week, going around the school. Ooh. So you're in Chelsea's, Brisbane at Chelsea's this stage. Guys, gonna they're gonna kiss uh, oh. in Brisbane, yes. And um, it was yes, of course. We you know we got to the party, and then <laughs> eventually, at some point oh. during the night, um, came together and sloppy is probably the word I would describe. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we remember his name just for his benefit? Well, Just we Christian do, name, I, will do. Yes, yes, um, yes. Did first you still? Was, did you? Did, go on. First name was Ben, and he did actually get ben. a nickname after that night. But from other people, decided to call him the special name, which I'm just gonna not say. Sloppy Ben. Oh, you something like that, yeah. <laughs> and it, it was only because you obviously told people about it. So did you get to kiss you another no, time, this or was in full? Like this is like, I mean, it wasn't in front of a group, but mm. people are aware of what's going on. Oh my yeah. god. Your mates, his mates. Well, you just did. I did. It's a I, I, oh, the the formative romance oh. with Sloppy Ben and Ben 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 Cousins never recovered. Obviously, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, he was yeah, able to no, briefly I put it. Brief. <laughs> uh, so so I also put it behind him for the two thousand and six grand final, yeah. but after that, it was a tailspin. <laughs> he, uh, now, your first heartbreak. Ooh, first heartbreak. 
first heartbreak was, oh, and I guess my heart was broken that time. I'm overthinking mm. this. Probably I would have been maybe my early 20s, I reckon. But, um, Where's that loser now? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, your first fight, you ever been in a fight? Ooh, first fight, you mean physical fight? Yeah. Well, any kind of fight. It might be a catty verbal one. But, yeah, have you ever been in, uh, you know, have you ever duked up? Oh. I mean, I was pretty – I've always been quite fiery. Like, if I disagree with something, I'll, you know, um, I'll stand up for myself or for, for someone else. Mm. Um, but I do remember probably actually in high school – there is this this phase. I don't know if it happens with boys, but it tends to happen with girls, and I'm generalising wildly here. But um, where the girls will gang up on someone, and they'll sort of yep. isolate um, a person who was once a friend. Now I found myself on the end of that isolation, and I couldn't figure out why. Well, I had let me just wrong. And, yeah. jump into the breach and say boys do the same. Exactly. Uh, the idea that you know. Women have this complex uh, ability to psychologically punish one another. Men do it too. Do they? I didn't know. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's not movies like Mean Girls and Clueless about the topic in particular, though. No, because, you know, movies were portrayed as, you know, gun-toting men walking away from explosions. And, yeah, right. You know. So hang on. So, yeah. so Chelsea, you, you found yourself the subject of being isolated and you didn't, you didn't feel that you'd done anything wrong. So then what occurred? Well, it worked out great because I, I found new friends. And um, so I was sort of like, it was just sort of this gang up. It was like two girls ganging up on me and they, they were my best friends and then decided that we weren't friends anymore. So it was very upsetting. Um, but, you know, that went on probably for a few weeks and then I just found a new friendship group and some far better friends. Well, that gives me, that gives me hope. That gives me hope because I've got five-year-old and an eight-year-old, uh, both daughters, and um, occasionally there's that kind of stuff already taking place apparently. And, and you, you can't go and hit children. You go, you, no. Are you being mean to my girl? Take this. I'm a grown man. You're a child and I'm going <laughs> to deliver some discipline. So that gives me hope. Um, finally, can I, can I the, quickly the, say though, I reckon guys, just as a brief comment, I, I reckon guys are very good, Lawrence, at, at um, keeping their enemies close. I think they're better at hiding. Ah. Oh, wow. We're much more insidious than, than we thought, Lawrence. I think there's a, there's a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. But we, you know, being uh, all being apes, we all, you know, manipulate the group mm. for our own benefit. Yeah. Because we know that being out on the outer means death ultimately. Yes. Well, this has taken a turn. Your first car? Well, yeah, Tell we're us. talking about being oh, primates now. Your first car? <laughs> my first yeah. car was a 1976 Volvo station wagon. I called him Sven. Sky blue. Sven. Sven. Um, sky, sky blue Sven. Total petrol guzzler. But I used to, this was up in Brisbane um, and going to footy matches. So I would have just left school. Um, taking this hulking station wagon beast to games. I'd just started goal umpiring locally. Um, it would break down. It had to go a great distance. So if I had to drive really? to the sunny coast or the cold coast to get to a game, it would usually break down. So I had to put an extra hour buffering. Um, but I'd have my little bowler hat on the front seat, uh, <laughs> this Volvo station wagon with sheepskin covers. Um, it used to be, it actually used to be the family car. And I can remember um, going on a trip to the snow one day to Perisher Uh we actually got stopped by the police for driving too slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Volvo owners. This, yeah, this whole Volvo. car. 
this the, the sky blue, the sheepskin covers. Did it have a foxtail tied to the aerial? <laughs> the only thing missing. Uh, your parents would have been very happy that you're in that Swedish safety of the big boxy Volvo. Yeah. Okay, so before, before before we go, the first time you got messy drunk. Oh. Now this, I was a good girl, as I said, but year eight. I, year eight? Yeah, I know. That's early. Which is terrible. What, were you 13? Yeah, which is really What bad. was the drop? What was the drop that did you in? Oh, it was probably a fruity Lexia or something. Uh, uh, I'm not sure. A, f- a fruity dyslexia in your case. <laughs> in a bag. And, and what was the af- what was I... the aftermath? Sorry, go on. Well, I feel you know because it's really obviously a, not a wise thing to be doing with a developing brain um, or even developed brains. Really, no, it's all right. So let's drink responsibly, folks. That's right. But I was a good girl. Um, but maybe I had something to prove. I just remember there was a party on in grade eight, and I took that opportunity to try something out and. Um, yeah, I got, I did end up with a hangover and I remember actually I had studies, I had exams to study for and I still, on the Sunday, despite being hungover for the very first time in my life, sat at the kitchen table with a big jug of water and prepared for my exams. Um, <laughs> so I had to uphold that, uh, that good girl reputation. Absolutely. But the school actually... You're setting an example to your brothers. That's it. Um but I do remember, I yeah, I did get in trouble. It, it again, word spread at the school, and I do remember there was a maths teacher after I went to maths the following uh, week. She she shamed me a little bit in front of the class, and then got oh. me to stay behind and had a big talk to me, and um, which you know what, rightly so. Well, I, about one on, her though, about one fruity Lexia knocking you on your ass. <laughs> Well, she just, you know, made a few points around, you know, what could happen if you, you know, not putting yourself in a vulnerable position and, and, and those sorts of things. Right, um, of course, yes. But okay. also, you know, there was another teacher, we had a science teacher who used to sort of say, you know, you're killing brain cells and things like that. So, um, but anyway, again, mm. look, I, I really don't condone it. It's, uh, it wasn't a good idea, but that, that was the first time I, I got drunk. No, you sound a lot more mentally acute than either of us, which means that you, you learnt your lesson. Uh, Chelsea Roffey, thank you so much for sharing all these memories with us and, of course, footy memories of uh, standing behind the big sticks and officiating over the greatest game in the world. We really appreciate your time. You're very welcome. It's been lovely chatting. You're a legend. And uh, she's raised the status of our podcast just with this chat Absolutely. alone. And shamed me about drinking so much. I know. I feel a bit <laughs> wrong as well. <laughs> Thanks, Chelsea. All the best. Okay, that'll do us, Lawrence Mooney, for today. I am having a ball, so uh, please join us on the next episode and tell your friends. Bring some friends along. Thanks for joining us. Okay, if you haven't given us a rate and review, now's the time. We're counting on you.